In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. I am so thrilled to have you guys here today. I am so excited about this topic, but I thought I would just give you a little insight into why is this so top of mind? I think I spent the weekend this weekend trying to live the life of a five-year-old in that I let him, my youngest son, who will be turning six shortly, kind of decide what we wanted the weekend to look like. And often, I think as parents, we design the experience about what we think it should look like for everyone or what we want it to look like for our kids. And it was a good reminder for me that even though the experience isn't something I ever imagined I would be doing, for the record, we went to a dirt bike race and my son got to ride on a dirt bike, which is not anything I would normally sign up for as a parent or as an individual. It's just not my thing. I had a blast. And I think there was a moment when I realized I was being really selfish. And I don't say that very often because I am a natural giver and I don't typically do things for myself as much as I would do for my kids. But I realized by not allowing myself to see this experience through the eyes of my child, I was actually looking at it from a very ideal or perfectionist type of lens. And I wasn't really thinking about what was most authentic. How could he be the most authentic self? And there was a moment when my son's smile was the most authentic smile I've ever seen in my life. And I realized like, oh, this is real. This is why I need to start thinking about creating experiences, not just for me, but also through the lens of my kids. And even if they can't design it for themselves, right? They didn't plan the weekend by any means. And there was a lot of logistics involved, but I took that moment to not necessarily think about it from a personal experience, but really from this lens of empathy and trying to bring out the most authentic child that I could. And it was, it was a winner, kind of a cute story. All of my kids now want a dirt bike. And I just kind of commented like, I don't know if that's possible. And my daughter chimed in really quickly. Well, if I can't get a dirt bike, I would take a pony. (laughs) So I think they're leaning into this, you know, generous, authentic, empathetic mom at the moment. Because it truly was a really great weekend connecting and doing something we wouldn't typically do and saying yes. I think that was, you know, my, again, I need to sometimes take my own advice. The funny thing is in designing this episode, we rarely have considered what the experience has been like for our dog. And our dog is often one of the things that draws us back home. So whenever we've been traveling, you can tell when we're hitting the end because the kids almost start crying and they're not necessarily homesick. They miss their pet. 
And our pets are often parts of our family. They are our siblings. They are our children. So I wanted to really give space for our pets to show up in our adventures. And how do we think about designing an experience for our pets? Which is why I'm so excited to have a friend and expert in this field, Dr. Brittany Lancelotti, who is a board-certified veterinary dermatology specialist currently living in Los Angeles, California. But she has a fascinating backstory. She was born in Germany when her parents were working abroad, and after exploring Europe in a VW van during her infancy, they decided to move back to the United States, where she ended up growing up outside of Philadelphia. Some of her favorite memories include traveling across the country, taking trips in their pop-up camper, with the family, and of course, including the dog. On the veterinary side of her life, she has worked at world-renowned facilities, such as the Animal Medical Center in New York City and Animal Dermatology Clinic in Los Angeles. She has received numerous awards and honors, such as Excellence in Internal Medicine, Dean's Award, and Excellence in Dermatology. She currently practices at Veterinary Skin and Ear in Santa Monica, California, a state-of-the-art facility providing world-class care. Dr. Lancelotti's research into the safety of Apoquel, one of the most commonly used medicines in veterinary medicine, was published in the Journal of American Veterinary Medical Association, and you can hear all about it in her episode four of the podcast, Your Vet Wants You to Know. Dr. Lancelotti is the host of the podcast, Your Vet Wants You to Know, which offers pet owners a reliable source of evidence-based information for commonly asked questions to pet health topics in entertaining and easily digestible episodes. She's a national and international speaker and fear-free certified veterinarian, focusing on creative positive associations for pets during hospital visits. She is a member of the Medical Advisory for the Los Angeles Zoo and loves helping their animals. When she's not treating itchy, stinky pets, she loves adventures with her husband and two kids ages four and one. And their favorite travel experience was a long cross-country trip where she and her husband took their two dogs when they moved from New Jersey to California. It is my great honor and pleasure to bring the world-renowned and fellow podcasting friend, Dr. Brittany Lancelotti. Brittany, that is quite an introduction, (laughs) and I feel like it also gives the context for why I've invited you to be on Ordinary Sherpa. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Heidi. I'm really excited to be here. I feel like you're the Sherpa veterinary. <laughs> like you have so much background on this and you, I'm really excited because I know my listeners will really find out why I invited you on the show. But I need to start with this cross-country road trip with two dogs. Like I'm picturing it in my mind. So can you just kick us off with, tell me a little bit about that experience to begin with. Yeah, well, my husband and I, it was just the two of us at that time. We didn't have kids yet. And I had gotten accepted to veterinary school and we were uprooting our lives from the East Coast and going to the West Coast. And we could have done it in a straight shot and driven as fast as we possibly could. But all of our stuff was going to take a couple weeks to get there. So we're like, let's make some stops along the way. We'll visit some friends we haven't seen in a while and just kind of make the most of it because when are we going to do something like this again? So we packed up the things that we needed to be able to you know, live out of our car for two weeks and we packed up the dogs and we just started driving. We had a nice plan ahead of us and as things often go with adventures, things did not go according to plan. Oh, no. um, so there were definitely some mishaps along the way that during the time were not um, 
yeah, they were they were not the the best sort of experiences, but we can look back now and and laugh at them. But the dogs really made it so much fun. I think um, it was we did a lot of things that we didn't expect to do because we had the dogs with us. We had to get a little bit creative in what sites we could go to see and what places we could stay because we had the dogs with us. And uh, it wound up being really memorable because of them. We found this really great place in Sedona, Arizona that we might not have discovered if we weren't looking for something specifically dog friendly. And I have these beautiful memories of a courtyard garden with just countless hummingbirds zooming around while I'm having breakfast in the morning in this bed and breakfast that was packed with personality when we were on our cross country trip because we found it specifically because they're dog friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, So it took us on a different adventure than we expected. And it was really, really fun. And, uh, you know, we saw some friends that we uh, hadn't seen in a long time and our dogs got to play with their dogs. And so it just brought a special layer to that trip that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, because I think we do treat our dogs as our kids, you know, and I think it's so hard. Personally, we have a dog and the thing that makes us come home quicker is that the, it, we miss the dog and it's not good mm-hmm. for the dog to be away that long and it's hard on us. So I wanted to have you on the episode just to really go through what do I need to think about when I'm traveling with pets? So let's just start there. You know, I'm probably on the very beginning side, on the planning side of things. What kind of things do you need to take into consideration? And we'll, we can unpack this for a while, I know, but let's just kind of start there. Yeah. So the I think the planning is the biggest part of this. If you put in the effort to plan and make it a good experience for you and the pet, you're going to have so much more fun during the trip and you're going to minimize any risks associated with taking the pet with you. And that's one thing that I talk about on the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast all the time is risk versus benefit. And I think there's a huge benefit of taking your pet with you when you travel and I have to be kind of specific here because I, when I say pet, oftentimes I'm referring to dogs and cats. I think with adventuring, the majority of the time we're talking about dogs. Um, Cats aren't really the adventurous type. And so what I'm going to be talking about today is traveling with your dog. Most cats would prefer to stay home and just enjoy the quiet time while you're off adventuring. So that's probably what I would recommend for them. But any adventure does take a little bit of planning, but the more preparation you do for your pets, the easier it will be to have fun. And the first thing that I would recommend that anyone do would be to talk to your veterinarian about your trip, figure out where you're going to go and ask them about what things you should be aware of in that particular region. So, for example, when I moved from the East Coast to California, I had no idea what foxtails were. So foxtails are these grass awns that love to get stuck in between dogs' toes. They'll go into the ear canal and get stuck in the ear canal. They'll go up the nostrils and get lodged there. So they have these barbs on them that once they go into a place, they can't actually back out because those barbs get caught. But I had never seen them on the East Coast before. So making sure you take the time to look at what a foxtail is if you're going to California It'll help you to recognize the grass that you shouldn't allow your dog to go into when you're out hiking. But your veterinarian can help guide you with specifics based on the region where you're going to be traveling. So have that conversation. Hey, I'm going to be going to California. What do I need to know? 
setting an appointment so that you can take the time to talk to them is helpful, but they can also do a physical exam during that time. And a physical exam will help determine your pet's health before you travel. If you're going to be traveling to a different state or a different country, sometimes you may need a health certificate to verify that your pet is up to date on the required vaccinations of whatever region where you're traveling to. This is also helpful if you need to board your animal in an emergency during your trip. They'll need to be up to date on their vaccines. A lot of boarding facilities do require that the animal has a recent Bordetella vaccination, which is usually every six months to be up to date. And that one is to help protect everybody in the boarding facility from kennel cough. Um, So say something happens while you're out on your trip, you didn't intend to board your dog, but all of a sudden someone's got to go to urgent care to address an injury or an illness. It's easy for you to go to the boarding facility and say, hey, here's all my animal's recent paperwork. I just need to leave them here for a few hours and takes care of a lot of headache. Mm -hmm. And there may be other vaccines that are recommended for the specific area that you're traveling to. Things like Lyme disease or leptospirosis, which aren't always needed in all parts of the country. So here in Southern California, we don't really have a lot of Lyme disease, but back where I grew up in Pennsylvania, it, it's endemic. I mean, New York, that those are areas where you're going to want to make sure that your pet is protected. So it's important to protect against those specific diseases to the region that you're going to be headed to so that you can have fun on that adventure. And then that physical exam also makes sure that your pet is healthy enough for travel, particularly if you're going to be flying. So if your vet identifies an underlying heart or a lung issue during that visit, flying can certainly be a lot riskier. And there's definitely breeds where I would not recommend flying be part of your adventure, particularly the brachycephalic breed. That's a really fancy word for smushed-faced. So these are going to be things like English bulldogs dogs, pugs, French bulldogs, um, shih tzus, Pekingese, anybody that looks like they may have just run into a wall and gotten their (laughs) face stuck that way. Those animals have a lot of um, anatomy changes that make it difficult for them to dissipate heat when they're panting. Their airways are also a lot narrower. So when you put them in um, an airplane, they are going to have a tough time controlling their body temperature and then the anxiety that they will experience while they're in that cargo hold will also increase the amount of panting that they're doing. So it's probably not a great idea to be flying with those animals. But certainly a physical exam with a veterinarian can help you to determine what's safe for your individual animal. Yeah, those are excellent tips. Thank you for all of those. Because I know even when we, I mean, part of the reason we actually purchased an RV was so that we could bring our dog with us. But as you mentioned, we are thinking about what it's like here in Wisconsin. You know, I'm not always thinking about like what the trails might be like or what to be looking for in the destination that we're going. So I really appreciate you highlighting all of those things and also knowing the differences in and what to ask. I think that's the tricky question too, is like, what do I actually ask my veterinarian to go over? What do I share with them? So I think just giving us some guidelines on what to ask and to find out where you're going and all of those things, we forget sometimes that our veterinarians are our resources that can really help us as we plan those things. 
Yeah, we definitely want to help. We've got lots and lots of tools available. We've spent so many years learning about these things, and we're, we're here to guide you and support your pet. But um, there's other things that um, I would recommend talking about during that visit. So if your pet doesn't have a microchip already, that that is a great time to get one. Um, because if they get lost when you're traveling, a microchip is something that's easily scanned by any shelter, veterinary hospital, or animal control. They'll all have microchip readers and that will help get your pet back to you no matter where you are in the country. So a really good way to protect your pet when you're traveling. And then in addition to all the of the different diseases um, that you can encounter in the different regions where you're going, there's also going to be different types of parasites where you go. So um, mm-hmm. taking the time to talk to your veterinarian about the appropriate parasite preventatives um, because fleas and ticks they vary widely across the country. So in most of the country, the -the over-the-counter flea medications like Frontline or Advantage, they work fine. But here in Southern California uh, and in places like Florida, fleas are basically going to laugh at those (laughs) over-the-counter flea medications. Um, So I recommend prescription parasite preventative because those are going to be a lot more effective in my region. Uh, And I mentioned before, in the Northeast, Lyme's a big concern. So a fast-acting prescription preventative is incredibly important to stop ticks from being able to transmit the disease there. Um, It's also common courtesy, if you're going to be staying in a hotel, that you don't bring a flea-infested dog into a room where other people will eventually be staying. So just make sure you have your dog on a flea preventative so that you don't leave any friends behind for the next person that's going to be in the hotel room. It's also a great time when you're talking to your veterinarian to refill any prescription medications that your pet may be taking. So I have three senior dogs now, one of which has a whole pharmacy of medications for her arthritis and epilepsy. Um, The other has a whole pharmacy for allergies and Cushing's disease. So if I were to travel with them now, I would have to pick up plenty of refills before I head out to make sure that I am completely prepared for anything. They're also on a prescription diet. So if you need a certain food, uh, you want to make sure that you have enough food for when you're going to be traveling. Even if they're not on a prescription diet, some pets do have sensitive stomachs. And if you change up their food while you're traveling, you might wind up dealing with some gastrointestinal issues that were unexpected. So it's best to kind of keep them on the same routine as far as what they're eating while you're traveling. Years ago, when we moved across the country, my husband was so worried about running out of the dog's food that he bought four huge bags of kibble for our two-week trip. And (laughs) keep in mind, the two dogs that we had with us at that time were a chihuahua mix and a small terrier. It was enough food to last for months. But he's very wonderful with the dogs. He actually made it so that the four bags of food were on the bench seats in the back seat. And then we had kind of a a hammock platform for them so they could actually sit on top of the bags of dog food and look outside of the window. And they were, you know, they were hooked in and they were restrained and everything. But it gave them a little bit of a better view while we were traveling. But we certainly were not going to run out of the dog's food anytime soon. (laughs) 
Oh, that's awesome. But I love the accommodations, too, because, you know, dogs are like kids. They want to be able to see what's going on, too. You know, they don't have the luxury of a car seat to hold them up or to boost them to see outside the windows. But yeah, I love that's so funny. I can only imagine. I I think my fear, if I had that much kibble in the car, was that the dog would like never stop. <laughs> so that would be it would be a different type of adventure to deal with later. Yeah. You know, you mentioned, though, diet changes. I know. And this might be more for internationals, you know, as humans. When we go to different places, it's really critical that you are very careful about your diet just because of the gastrointestinal issues that might be, you know, whether in the water or whatever. Is that also true, I'm assuming, with animals, just thinking about water sources and stuff like that? Absolutely. You know, I had mentioned uh, leptospirosis vaccine. Leptospirosis is something that can cause severe uh, liver and kidney damage. And that is a microorganism that lives in the water. Uh, so having plenty of bottled water for your pet is going to be helpful to reduce the risk of being exposed to that deadly disease. Yeah, that's a good reminder, too. We were just actually adventuring yesterday and we were along Lake Michigan and there was quite a bit of algae in the water. And so even, you know, thinking about where your animal is and of course, my dog loves to drink any type of water and not the ideal water. So, of course, we were like, ah, you can't be drinking that. <laughs> so. Is there anything else that we should be thinking about just to make, you know, as you're getting ready for this experience, just to really be sure that you have what you need to make the experience most pleasurable? Yeah. So you want this to be fun for everybody. And I think the last thing to talk to your veterinarian about are things like anti-nausea medications for motion sickness or anti-anxiety medications for the car, the hotel, anywhere your dog might feel nervous being out of its element, um, especially if you have to leave your dog for a short period of time. If your pet's never taken anti-anxiety medications before, it's probably a good idea to do a trial run at home before you take off on the road. And I have a great episode of the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast on anti-anxiety medications. These are medications called trazodone and gabapentin. And so you can learn specifically about those drugs and what they do. The episode is on pre-visit pharmaceuticals because I use them a lot as a fear-free veterinarian to minimize anxiety associated with vet visits. But certainly if your pet has some anxiety with maybe being in a hotel or being in the car for a long period of time, those are really good tools for you to use as well. I want listeners to keep in mind, there is a medication called ACE Promazine that was used for a really long time to treat anxious dogs. But what we've discovered is that ACE Promazine doesn't actually treat anxiety or stress. It simply paralyzes the animal. So they still feel every ounce of fear that they're experiencing, but they lose the power to do anything about it because they're, um, they're paralyzed. So I rarely use ACE Promazine. And when I do, it's often combined with a medication that actually treats the anxiety like trazodone or gabapentin. So those are good tools to have. And you can talk to your veterinarian about them. Um, and there's another medication called Serenia for, for car sickness uh, that can help to make the experience more enjoyable too. But if your pet isn't used to car rides or getting in and out of the carrier, the first time they do those things should not be day one of your adventure. Yeah. Take, taking the time to practice these routines will make your adventure a lot more fun for the whole family. So I think as far as preparation 
And that's the biggest part of having a really fun adventure. That preparation also includes packing. Um, So I have a little bit of a checklist here on items that are helpful to have um, packed and ready to go when you're ready to set out. So I I can go through the checklist and uh, really quickly give like a a bullet point and then I have some explanations of the things. I don't know if it would be easier for you for me to do just the bullet points real quick and then go back and explain or... Yeah, go through and explain each one. Let's give some bullet points and some high level. But then is this something that listeners could download from your website or something? Yeah, I can turn this into a nice visual checklist that I will put on the Your Vet Wants You to Know website. For awesome. Sure. And we'll include that for my listeners. We'll include that in the show notes as well. So you'll be able to access. You don't have to write down all of these as we're talking. <laughs> That's great. Thank you, Brittany. Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead and give us some like high level. What are some of the ideas we should be thinking about with our packing list and preparing to travel with our pet? Well, you just went to the vet, so ask them for a copy of your medical records, including recent vaccines. You want a list of emergency hospitals that are nearby to where you're traveling and a list of nearby boarding facilities. Um, You also want the number for ASPCA poison control or the pet poison hotline programmed into your phone. Um, Those are things that will save your pet's life. If your pet gets lost, it's helpful to have photos of you with your pet and their different markings so that you can prove ownership. You want your anti-anxiety medications or other calming tools like Adaptal, which is a calming pheromone, a thunder shirt, um, and music that's helpful for calming downloaded onto your phone. So you can play that in the car. You want a secure place for your pet to ride in the car, such as a crate in the back of the van or an SUV. Um, That crate can also double as a secure place for your pet to stay in the hotel. First aid supplies, just like we have them for ourselves and our kids, the first aid supplies are helpful to have for pets as well. A leash, a harness, a collar with tags. Heidi, I can't tell you how great it made me feel to hear that you had gotten rid of your flexi leash, the retractable leash. Um, Those you can pack directly into the trash can. Um, You want something that is going to be a lot better um, for keeping your animal secure when you're out. Uh, Bowls for food and water and then food and water to fill those bowls. Poop bags so that you can be a courteous adventurer towels for dirty dogs, and then wipes for muddy paws, and booties if you're going to be traveling in extreme weather, either really hot or really cold. And um, if you're going to be adventuring when it's hot out, you should make sure that you're equipped to cool your pet. There's a a link that I'll make sure that you have for the show notes um, of a a cooling vest that can be soaked with water and allow for evaporation. I recently recorded an episode on heat stroke for your vet wants you to know, and the emergency vet who discussed the topic with me um, shared that cooling vest. And I was just like, this is great. It's a really, really great tool for anybody who's going to be doing hot weather stuff with their dog. But again, knowing where your local boarding facilities are is also helpful if you're going to be adventuring when it's hot out. And then the last item that I have on the checklist here is a muzzle. So I know a lot of people are like, wait, what? A muzzle? Um, So if your animal gets injured, they may bite you no matter how much they love you. If you want to be able to help get your dog to the emergency room for care, you you want to have that muzzle so that you can put it on them, keep yourself safe so that you can get them there. So that's why I have muzzle on the checklist. Yeah. We can go back and talk about all of these. I have yeah. descriptions and and um, and other things as far as why I included these on the checklist. 
those are extremely helpful. I think even just thinking through them as you were saying, I'm like, oh, yeah, OK. And part of me feels like validated. I think I have at least half of those things. <laughs> so that's good to know. <laughs> but I don't know that I've always thought as elaborately about the experience for the animal. And so for me, it's just a really good reminder that, you know, much like your kids, you know, you want to make sure you have your meds. You want to make sure you have the right tools so that you can have the adventure. I want to talk briefly about the booties, because that's something too, that much like you mentioned, you know, you don't necessarily want them riding in the car for the first time. I have a dog that does not love the booties. And so that might also be something that you're testing. And is there a time or a place, you know, we, for example, yesterday, we didn't take our booties yesterday. And our dog, our kids were playing on a playground that had chopped up tires as like the mulch, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. We didn't really think anything of it, but boy, she let us know that she did not want to be on that mulch. And I think it was because it was too hot for her paws. So just, sure. you know, I think the the concept behind the booties is kind of interesting. Can you just kind of talk through, like, how do you even get your pet ready for those booties? Is there any tricks or reasons or ways to try that before you are actually on an adventure? Yeah, absolutely. So it's all about making it a positive experience for your pet and working in very slow increments. So I like to do training sessions of just about five minutes. That's enough to keep your dog's attention span um, and not get them too tired when they're focusing on what you're asking them to do. And you're going to go, like I said, very slow increments. So the first thing that I would do is when the dog's hungry, you're going to start by touching their paw and giving them a little bit of food or a high value treat and then taking your hand away from their paw as they finish the treat. And continue to do that first step, touching the paw, giving a treat. Now, some dogs won't even like you touching the paw to begin with, so you may have to start by touching the shoulder and then gently moving your hand down. So we call that touch gradient. Um, The shoulder is a a low sensitivity area. The paw is a high sensitivity area. So you're going to work up to that um, high intensity area as you're rewarding for calm acceptance. If the animal pulls their paw away. Um, You don't want to reward that and you want to go back to wherever you were at before you um, you had them pull their paw away. So you want to reward calm acceptance with increasing touch intensity. And as they're doing, as they're showing you they're comfortable with you touching their paw, then you can take the booty from, you know, sitting on the ground next to you and slowly move the booty just next to their paw and then give them a treat, then take the booty away, bring the booty back, put it next to their paw, give them a treat. So every time that booty comes out, they get food. And so they're you're creating a positive association with the booty. And once they get comfortable with this new object being next to them, you can start to touch the booty to their paw, give them a treat. Once they're okay with that, you can start to open it up and maybe put the tips of their toes in for just a second. I mean, you're, you're not trying to put the whole thing on all at once. You're, you're just very slow incremental increases in the intensity of what's happening. And as they're, they're comfortable with that, you should eventually be able to get the entire booty on and leave it on for longer durations as the animal is more comfortable. Um, You may need to do that whole process on each paw. They may be okay with it once they've gotten used to one paw, but work five minutes at a time. I wouldn't try and do all of this all at once if your animal is showing you that their paws are really sensitive because what you can do is you can actually create a negative association if you move too quickly. So do it when your dog's hungry, no more than five minutes at a time, and make sure you're rewarding calm acceptance and not them pulling away and being uncomfortable. That is awesome. 
because I know that anything with their dog's paws is usually not a good experience unless you train them for it to be a good experience. So appreciate those tips because that can be really hard. (laughs) Even cleaning paws sometimes can be really hard. Yeah, absolutely. As a, a veterinary dermatologist, one of the places that I spend my day looking at the most is the paws. And and so we've come up with a lot of tools in the clinic for um, having dogs be comfortable with me touching and, and looking in those really sensitive areas. So you can do it. I mean, even just a five minute session when they're in the hospital with me, uh, I have the technician work on training a paw behavior. It goes a long way towards increasing the animal's confidence, which makes them less nervous about about this new experience. So I think that's a great way to get those booties on them. And that's going to protect their paw pads from burning on hot pavement during the summer, but also from irritation from salt during the winter time. Because a lot of the sidewalks get salted. If the animal's paws are cracked and dry, that salt really stings and burns. So booties are a really helpful tool to have. Awesome. Anything else while we're adventuring that we should be thinking about? I think that's a pretty extensive just like planning, getting in the mode when we're on the adventure. Is there anything that would be helpful for us to keep in mind as well? Yes. So while you're on your adventure, I think one of the things that is really helpful that a lot of people don't think about is making sure the leash is attached to the dog before you open the car door, Mm -hmm. um, because that is probably going to be one of the most common times that an animal is going to bolt is when you first open that car door. So if you wait to put the leash on until the door is already open, the animal is less secure and there's more of a risk of them running away. So just hook it on before you open the door to get out. And then when you're out on the trail, watch your pet at all times. Make sure they're not eating something they shouldn't or wandering off the trail while you can't see them. Here in Southern California, rattlesnakes love to be just off of the edge of the trail. So in the morning, they'll come out from the trail and just kind of sit on the edge and sun themselves as the the sun comes up in the morning. But then they'll kind of retreat back off the edge of the trail. So keep your pet on the trail where you can see them so that they're not getting into the wildlife that's right off of the, you know, off of the path there. Um, And make sure you're following local ordinances. A lot of national parks do have pet restrictions. So they may only allow pets on certain trails and not others. So you want to make sure you know those before you go. Watch for any posted signs um, and make sure you're not disturbing the natural wildlife as well. There's a lot of protected species and, and birds birds that really aren't interested in getting to be friends with your dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know I have a bird dog. It's kind of interesting what she thinks she can get into. Yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate, yeah. actually. One of the things, actually, that it reminded me as you were talking about uh, leashing up your dog before you get out of the car. Another thing, while you're on the trail, a strategy, and, and this might not be true for everybody, but we found, first of all, our dog is not very, we've had to really work to get her leash trained so that she is accommodating on the trails because otherwise she's pulling us all over the place and interactions with other dogs, you know, that, that can also be really strenuous. And so a strategy we always have, and I don't know if this is true, but on trails, when we interact with another dog, we always try to make sure we as the owner are in between the dog and the other, like in between the dogs. I don't know. Is that a good way to frame it so that there's a barrier or is it better to allow the dogs to interact? 
Well, I think it's going to depend on each specific dog. Sometimes if a dog cannot interact with another dog that's close by them, just the feeling of not being able to to get to the other dog will actually increase their anxiety and their stress level. But you also have to know your individual animal. If they are dog reactive, um, you probably should keep them on the opposite side of the path and not stop to talk to that person with the other dog. If your dog is friendly and you've you know communicated to that person, hey, my dog is friendly, can we say hello? Then you certainly can take that opportunity to let them interact, making sure that you're watching body language, that they're not raising their hackles on their back and their rump, that their bodies aren't becoming stiff. You want them to be loose from, from nose to tail tip. So if they're having a good time and they're, they're relaxed with the other dog, I think it's okay to say hello, but you have to know your own pet and you have to communicate to other pet owners that you encounter to make sure that everybody stays safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good reminder. We do have a dog that loves to raise her rump feathers, we call it. Yes. She just gets <laughs> curious or anxious. And um, we're like, yeah, we've had a lot of conversations with people on the trail. I'm like, eh, I don't think it's not appropriate now to come near her. You know, like she's she's yeah. a very sweet animal, but she also can get anxious. And so I think it's even a good reminder that when you interact with a pet, don't assume that, that it wants you to pet it either. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It really is all about knowing your pet and not just with interacting with other dogs, but knowing their exercise tolerance as well. You want to make sure you're giving them breaks when they're out and adventuring, making sure they're not getting overheated in the summer um, and not pushing them to exert themselves. We certainly see a lot of injuries from uh, what we call weekend warrior syndrome, where the dog will lie around all week long while the owners are at work. And then they go hard on the weekend without properly training for that exercise. And so that's a, a something that you want to try and avoid so that you're not dealing with these injuries injuries after your adventure. Just make sure that they're getting uh, regular exercise throughout the course of the week and you're not doing too much when you're off adventuring. Offering them plenty of water while you're out on the trail too. And then one thing I did want to kind of get up on my soapbox a little bit very quickly, because this is something that the veterinary community has seen quite a lot of, and it's something we feel pretty passionate about. I would ask listeners to please try and not pass your pet off as a service dog if they are not truly a service animal. People who do try and pass their animal off as a service animal, they make it a lot harder for people that have true disabilities and trained service animals to get access to the places that they need to be able to go. Just keep in mind, if your pet is not a service animal, follow those local ordinances and keep them to areas where it's okay for pets to go and recognize that there are people that need their animal for a specific disability and keep those other areas specific for them. Yeah. Thank you for that reminder. I think it's just such an, there are plenty of dog friendly places that, you know, like a lot of places are really marketing themselves to as a dog friendly community or as a pet friendly community. So I appreciate you mentioning that because we don't necessarily need to get special permission just so that our dogs can be with us all the time. I think we really want to honor the intent of a service dog is to be a service dog for a person with a disability. So we want to maintain and honor and support that work as opposed to work against it and create additional hardships for those individuals who need those pets. So I appreciate that. If you're someone that just loves having your pet with you all of the time, it's an entire market. You know, like you had said, Mm -hmm. you found some pet friendly locations. Those are ideal. I would encourage listeners if they want their pet with them to really seek those opportunities out because there's plenty of places that are very pet friendly. 
Yeah, we were so surprised at how many places were pet friendly once we started looking. It, there's endless possibilities. You can take your dog to so many different places, different bed and breakfasts or hotels or restaurants and trails. And it, there really is so much to explore. Awesome. Is there any other tips that we should share with my listeners before we wrap up here today? Yeah, just a couple for after the adventure. You want to check for things like ticks and foxtails, whatever local hazards you might encounter, Um, and then clean up your pet before you go back into the hotel room so you're not damaging the hotel room, Uh, and give your pet the opportunity to rest. Don't go from one adventure to the next. And Just like our kids are going to need some rest, we need some rest. The pets need some rest as well. And then if there's any concerns um, that you have from your adventure, make sure you follow up with your vet afterwards because, again, they are going to be a really great resource for you. Just give them a call, let them know what happened and see if they recommend anything. This has been fabulous, Brittany. I really appreciate all your insights and your expertise. It's so fun to know that there's a resource and I will plug your podcast is amazing. Your vet wants you to know. So I know we're going to have a lot of these links in the show notes, um, but just for one other opportunity, if someone wants to follow you, how else could they find you? Um, so your vet wants you to know is on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, the website has pages for every episode as well as transcripts for people who prefer to read rather than listen with lots of great pictures that go along with each one of the topics. You know, as a dermatologist, I love the visual before and after of a lot of the things that I treat. So there's some really good before and after things on there. And the website actually has a great allergies infographic. So if you have an itchy dog or an itchy cat, that you're curious about and wondering what it is that they're that they might be allergic to, you can download the allergies infographic at yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com or just listen to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The first eight episodes are all about allergies and allergy medications. So tons of really good information for you. Awesome. This has been fabulous. I'm so excited to start adventuring with our dog. (laughs) I appreciate all the tips you gave us to really think through that both before, during and after. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me, Heidi. Enjoy your adventure. Dr. Lancelotti truly just gave us such a wealth of information. And I hope you're a little more aware, a little more thoughtful, but also considering What might it be like if we adventured with our pet? So I have four key takeaways from this episode. Number one, what do you want the experience to look like for everyone involved? Your pet is like a child and wants to be with you and your family when adventuring. How can you make that happen? Number two, your veterinarian is an amazing resource who wants your pet to be happy and healthy with you. Use them as a resource in guiding your next adventure. Number three, what aspects of pet care have you done out of a general habit? For me, we use things like retractable leashes and we rarely used booties because it was hard and our dog didn't necessarily like them. However, learning some simple tips can make the best care possible just a little bit more accessible. Sometimes questioning those things that are unconscious to us, like our regular habits, are really important to pay attention to. Number four, everything from this episode is available, including the packing list and a much deeper dive on a lot of the content she suggested at yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com. I strongly encourage you, if nothing else today, go check out her website, check out her podcast and subscribe. If you are a pet owner, you will thank me later. 
I'm so excited to have all of these contacts. I just think the more informed we are, the less scary some of these adventures can be. And I am really intrigued and excited. And I know my dog Finley is just chomping at the bit to get in the car and go with us on our next adventure. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. And until next time, keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.